Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hey friends, Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America on this Tuesday night. And we welcome you and all the patriots, all the Christians joining us from across this country, and we even have friends joining us from around the world. We appreciate your love and respect for America, and we pray that we'll be always worthy of that respect. Pardon our current leadership. I know it's a disaster. It's embarrassment, um, but uh, we're going to do better. And that's part of what this program is about. That's part of the goal, brothers and sisters, of uh, coming together like this. We're praying for America that we may... uh, move towards better leadership, and we'll certainly have better leadership in the House of Representatives uh, come January, but uh, we need to do a little better with the uh, the, the, the White House. And uh, in fact, with the Senate, we are, let me again remind all of you, uh, the, the December 6th uh, runoff elections, early voting has now begun in Georgia, and uh, let's get out there. Let's get our side out there in person or voting early so that we can simply amass more and more people to uh, overcome the uh, the votes of those who are, well, let's put it very bluntly, you vote Democrat, you're voting to destroy the country. Uh, you know, shame on you. Uh, it really is, we're really at a point where uh, we've just got to say that explicitly and clearly and repeatedly and unapologetically and, uh, and, uh, and, and make sure that we let it sink in and help it sink into the minds and hearts of our our fellow citizens. You vote Democrat, you're voting to destroy the country. Um, Just think of the D, Democrat, destroy, D-E, D-E. Both words begin with D-E for a reason, Uh, because right now uh, they mean the same thing. And uh, we're going to pray about that, but we're going to pray and talk in this program about the rebuilding process, the rebuilding process. We're saving our country. We're not simply electing candidates of a, of a particular party or backing candidates of a particular party. We are literally saving America. And what we want to do uh, tonight is begin to map out the, uh, the path, brothers and sisters, policy-wise, and show how those policies that constitute rebuilding America taking back America, saving our country, how those policies are rooted in the scriptures. Now, I want to start, usually we start with one scripture and a prayer. I want to start with two scriptures tonight and then um, pray and then share with you an experience I had recently from which we're going to draw the instruction about these, uh, uh, these America first policies. So let's go to Isaiah first. The prophet Isaiah in, ver- in uh, chapter 58, uh, as you uh, know, if you know the word, it's a very stirring chapter, a calling for not only justice and righteousness, but for people to cry out for justice and righteousness. That's what we're doing when we're crying out, save our nation. We're talking about defending life, defending justice, defending freedom. And uh, the Lord has some very clear words for his people here. Let me just start here with... Um, verse 9, the second part of verse 9. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf 
of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight in the Lord's day, holy and honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 58, talking about how to restore the nation. You've got foundations into which you have to sink the pillars of whatever policy you're going to pursue. That's what we're doing. Let's go also to a particularly well-known verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I told you the story some time ago of a speaking one of my speaking engagements in the course of my now 30-year speaking tour of the United States on behalf of pro-life. And uh, one of the talks that was scheduled for me was, you know, usually I have an evening talk. It might be scheduled for 7, for 8, for 9 o'clock. This one was scheduled for 7.14. And I, when I first saw it, I thought it might have been a typo on the announcement. No, the flyer said, Father Frank will give his presentation at such and such a church at 7.14 p.m. Because of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Very well-known verse. Let me start a few verses before that with verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. That is the promise of restoration. You know what, friends? God has sent a plague among us. The Democrat Party, its leaders, and their godless, destructive policies. Let's make no mistake about it. And the preachers in the churches need to start saying this. Yes, we preach the Word of God, but we've got to connect the dots for people. We've got to add up one and one and show people that it makes two. God has sent a plague among us. Starting with the bloodshed of the innocent babies that these people couldn't care less about. 
They could not possibly be more blind to the bloodshed of the babies in the womb that they want to abort more and more of them. They can't get enough abortion. And all the other destructive policies as well. They hate America. God has sent a plague among us. Not a single Democrat politician should be holding a single political office anywhere in our country, at any level of government, at any time from today forward. Should not be the case. And if it is, we have an obligation to to change that. Brothers and sisters, we have to be as clear about this as we possibly can. It's a plague on America. The sooner we realize that, the better. And we're not going to be caught up into this idea of, well, oh, you know, let's just, you know, kind of try to get along. There is no getting along with people who have become your enemy and who want to destroy you. You don't go get along with them. You, put, you get them out of power. You neutralize the threat. You say, enough of this. We're not going to give you our vote. We're not going to give you political power. We're not going to give you responsibility. And if you're in those positions, we will expose what you are doing. We will show the the citizens who were responsible for electing you what a mistake that was. And we will propose the alternative clearly. But this is not just an academic debate. We've got to get these people out of power. We've got to get the party out of power. And we have got to stop their agenda while they are in power. And so, brothers and sisters, that's that's what we want to pray about right now. And then I'm going to start showing you, step by step, we'll do this over a number of programs, what those policies are and how they are rooted in the Word of God. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clear vision that your Word sets out for us that that all that we do has to be has to be rooted in your word. All, all that we that we do in public policy, as well as in our private decisions, has to be rooted in and reflect the truth of your word. Uh, you tell us here in these uh, passages, Lord, that that we are to seek your face and repent of our sins. Lord, in order to do that, first we have to know what sin is. Well, awaken your citizens and awaken our political leaders. That first and foremost, it's sinful to kill a baby. It's sinful to kill a baby. It's sinful to permit others to kill babies. It's sinful to fund the killing of babies or to justify it in any way, shape, or form. To support court decisions and laws that protect the killing of babies and those who do it. Or to complain against or oppose court decisions and laws that protect those babies. Lord God, enlighten our people. Enlighten us furthermore that you have set before us freedom, the opportunity to govern ourselves, the pillars of liberty you have set before us. You have placed them in our hands. You have given them to us in a beautiful package called America with an instruction book called the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. And you have given us heroes and heroines who have sacrificed and even died for this great cause. Teach us the lessons of this history and let us build upon it with principles rooted in your word, Lord God, and that give practical, concrete, positive results 
for your people. We ask this in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Now, I was recently at the America First Policy Institute experience, as they call it, a couple of days of policy meetings. We held it at Mar-a-Lago. Now, I've been part of this from its very inception, right after the Trump administration concluded. We had um, uh, a number of people come together, and they contacted me right at the beginning of this effort, who had worked in President Trump's administration, helped craft and implement the historic policies uh, for which uh, he made, because of which he made history in so many ways. Unprecedented progress for America on the economy and the, at, the, at the border and in so many other ways. Advances for religious freedom, advances for the right to life and so forth. These people came together and said, look, we can't stop the momentum of these policies simply because there's a change in administration. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep building. We've got to keep crafting better and better policies. We've got to keep educating the public. And that's part of where this program comes in. We've got to, we've got to keep educating people in what it means when we say America first. In what it means when we say make America great. We've got to educate people in what this means. And we've also got to be ready for such time as the administration of our country in Congress and in the White House is back in Republican hands, as now the House of Representatives will be come January. Praise you, Lord. So we had several days, and this wasn't the first, uh, because this, uh, this AFPI, as it's called, America First Policy Institute, got started, and various people joined up. Many people who worked in the Trump administration and or in his, uh, in his uh, presidential campaigns over the years who know these policies inside out and, uh, and who are working in their own areas of expertise on these policies. And the, the Institute is comprised of various centers. So these are um, policy centers. These are centers that focus on particular things. For example, there's a Center for American Values. There's a Center for uh, Election Integrity and many other policy centers. you got top experts in their fields, all, again, working together to build on, create, and educate people in policies and advocate for them so that when we've elected people who believe in these policies, we can be hitting the ground running and, and you know, you don't put somebody in, in power and then, then start scratching your head and figuring out, okay, what do we want to do and how do we want to govern? You want to have those things in place first. This is part of what AFPI does. By the way, the good news is you can be part of this too. AmericaFirstPolicy.com is the website, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And uh, we talked about various topics, including the one that that I am, uh, am most experienced in, uh, the abortion issue and, and pro-life and protecting the unborn and how that relates to uh, American government. And we were also, we also had a prayer breakfast. It was a very prayerful event. We held this event there at Mar-a-Lago. President Trump was with us himself both nights of the event. Um, the first night, by the way, Lee Greenwood was also there and there was an outdoor concert after the uh, evening events, uh, and uh, he sang God Bless the USA. And we, we were all singing it together, in fact, along with President Trump and 
We saw the flag flying in the uh, over Mar-a-Lago, gigantic flag in the evening breeze. That was quite a quite an experience for everybody that was there. And you know, it's one of those experiences that just reinforces everything that we're saying about uh, the direction in which we need to go. And the direction in which we need to go is a direction of freedom. Let me go over to the board and uh, and 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 lay out a couple of these a couple of these basic points. First of all, let me put up here again uh, what I just told you: America first. Policy. Check it out, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. You can be part of this particular uh, institute, this particular uh, effort. Um, again, as I say, that is building on these uh, these policies and these principles. What are we looking at? We're looking at America First as a summary of the direction in which these policies go. And we're looking at liberty, freedom, as the overarching protective principle versus the opposite of that being tyranny. And that, of course, is what led our founding fathers to do what they did. They founded a nation that they wanted to be based on liberty instead of tyranny because they had an experience of tyranny. That's why they broke from the king. Experience of tyranny. Now, what would the the pillars be? Because America was the first country. When uh, when our founders established it, it was the first country to, to be built on the concept that sovereignty rests with the people. And we take that so for granted. And we figure, you know, growing up, oh, well, you know, we experience freedom, we live freedom, we talk about freedom. And it's easy to think, oh, well, this is the way it's always been all around the world. But it isn't. Sovereignty rests with the people rather than the government rather than with a king, rather than with any kind of entity that would rule over the people. No, sovereignty rests with the people. This was the first country explicitly founded on that concept. And that's why today we're the only country still operating under its original founding constitution and the country that is number one in attracting people to it from around the world. Why indeed do people come to us from around the world? But we're based not on geography, not on ethnicity, but on a principle, on an idea, on a concept that stirs the human heart. This concept of liberty, our rights come from God, sovereignty rests with the people. You know, this is a very Christian idea, isn't it? I mean, we believe in God above all as king. President Trump always says it in his speeches, We worship God, not government. That's a formula of freedom. That formulates the same idea, doesn't it? If we worship only God, it means we don't worship another human being. That means all people are equal. Because we're not subject to one another. We're each subject to Almighty God. Now that means not only that we're not subject to one another, but that Almighty God is the defender of each person. So that while not subject to another person, we therefore have to respect them 
and their freedom and their rights, because those rights don't come from me and they don't come from a court. They don't come from a king. They don't come from a government. They come from God. You see how this is the, the, the substance and very foundation of freedom, but there's an explicit teaching of Jesus that reinforces this. Remember when he said to his, his, uh, his apostles, you know, those who uh, in the world lorded over uh, their subjects, they make their importance felt for the rulers who are kings. I'm going to read for you a passage uh, in a moment when I go back to my, my seat about that. He says, it cannot be that way among you. The greatest among you must be the least and must be the what? What did Jesus teach about authority? The greatest among you must be the servant. There it is. See how that supports this idea? If sovereignty rests with the people, then those that the people elect to certain positions of government authority are actually subject to the people. It's the, it returns things upside down from the thinking of the world. It turns tyranny upside down. It's not the people subject to the king. It's not the people subject to government. It's government of the people, by the people, for the people, subject to the people. You don't answer to your congressman. He or she answers to you. You don't answer to your president. He answers to you. And somebody who articulates that as consistently and clearly as anybody else is President Trump. This is not about me. This is not my campaign, he said when he announced his run for the White House just a few weeks ago. This is our campaign. He said in his first uh, uh, speech, in his inauguration speech, this is not about the transfer of power from one party to another. It's the transfer of power from Washington, D.C. to you, the people. And the other Christian doctrine that this is rooted in is that we are Adopted children of God, right? You're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High. What does that mean? Sovereignty with the people. It means your voice counts, your voice matters, your voice needs to be heard. That's why we can vote and lobby. That's why... Government answers to us, not the other way around. Because we actually are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Let me go back to the chair here and uh, read for you a passage that summarizes the very, very dangerous notion of tyranny. It was actually from the predecessor of King George, against whom our founding fathers declared their independence. Oh, George, you know, <laughs> got to feel bad for these people. It's not exactly feeling sorry for them, no. 
But, you, you know, you, isn't it sad that somebody should be conceived, made fearfully and wonderfully by God in their mother's womb, called from all eternity to exist on this earth, given a position of leadership, the possibility of influencing the world and its history for good, and then completely mess it up? It's really sad. Again, it's not that I feel sorry for them. It's I feel sad that these things can even happen, that somebody can be as warped as King George was, so demented and sick, sick in spirit. These people are sick. President Trump says that a lot, and it's so true. And, and, and his predecessor was sick, too. King James I, in an address to Parliament in 1610, the misguided, disfigured king said, let me just read this. Listen, listen to the sickness of this. The state of monarchy is the supremest thing upon earth, for kings are not only God's lieutenants upon earth and sit upon God's throne. Uh, excuse me? I'm going to show you a scripture about that in a moment. Sit upon God's throne. But even by God himself are called gods. Kings are justly called gods. For that they exercise a manner of resemblance of divine power upon earth. They have power of raising and casting down of life and of death. Oh, alarm should be going off in everybody's head about that. Of life and of death, judges over all their subjects and in all causes, and yet accountable to none but God. You see how this is absolutely upside down? Accountable to none but God. No, no, no. You're accountable to the people. Not accountable to none but God. In this arrogant, sick way of thinking. To dispute what God may do is blasphemy. So it is sedition in subjects to dispute what a king may do in the height of his power. I would wish you to be careful to avoid three things in the matter of grievances. First, that you do not meddle with the main points of government. That is my craft. No, sir. It's ours. Secondly, I would not have you meddle with such ancient rights of mine as I have received from my predecessors. No, sir. Any power you have, you receive from us. And third... I pray you beware to exhibit for grievance anything that is established by a settled law. Settled law. This is what the other side, when they have their immoral laws like those supporting abortion or their immoral court decisions like Roe v. Wade, they use that same phrase. Oh, this is settled law. Well, Roe v. Wade isn't settled anymore, is it? For it is an undutiful part in subjects to press their king, wherein they know beforehand he will refuse them. Yeah, so what? You see how this, this, this tyranny, and again, if you're just joining us, I just read words from King James I, predecessor of uh, King George. Uh, he addressed Parliament in 1610. No wonder why we had an American Revolution. No wonder why we have a declaration of independence. We're independent from this nonsense. You know, a lot of scriptures come to mind when you hear these arrogant words. 
And uh, especially when he says, kings sit upon God's throne. In Isaiah 14, Isaiah chides the king of Babylon, and he said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the throne. I will be like the Most High. How you have fallen from the heavens, O Lucifer, Isaiah says to that king. How you have fallen from the heavens because of what you said in your heart. See, the thinking of Jesus is just the opposite. Paul says to the Philippians, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but rather he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. So Jesus, who is God, deigns to come among us, not to I have come to set the captives free. He's Almighty God, and yet He gives Himself. Why? So that we can be free. Jesus says in the book of Revelation 3.21 to the victor, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. He's talking about us. He will give us, as I said a moment ago, we're all sons and daughters of God. If we accept faith in Christ and we're adopted by, by God the Father, Christ says He will give us to sit with Him on His throne. You see how this is? The Christian doctrine is exactly the opposite of tyranny. The king says here, he sits on God's throne and is accountable to no one but God. Jesus Christ says those who have authority are accountable to the rest of us. They are to serve us, and we're the ones that get to sit on God's throne. What a perfect opposite it is. What a perfect opposite. Freedom rooted in Christ is to the sickness of tyranny. I said earlier, God has sent a plague on our country in the Democrat Party. He has. It's a plague. It's got to be rooted out forever. And that plague is characterized by tyranny. You study it carefully, friends. The Democrat Party and its policies today believe in tyranny. That's why they hate the gospel. That's why they hate religious freedom. That's why they hate the church. That is why they hate God. And that's why, as Pew Research has revealed in in various studies, the non-religious people in this country tend to gravitate towards that plague of a party called the Democrat Party. They gravitate there. That's where you're going to find the gravitation of people that do not believe, do not pray, do not read the Bible, do not go to church, do not believe in God. Of course, they don't believe in God. They believe in government. They believe in tyranny. Tyranny is what we rebel against. Tyranny is what we oppose. And tyranny is what we must eradicate. Friends, let's pray. Lord, we we ask each day that we might understand better the difference between tyranny and freedom. Lord, we ask each day that we might understand and appreciate better how the teachings of the one Lord 
and the one Savior, Jesus Christ, have revolutionized politics, have reformulated government, how they stand at the foundation of America, and how they shape what we must do with governance, public policy, and elections. We thank you, Lord, because in Christ Jesus we see not only the teaching, but the example of one who has come to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. Continue, Lord, to enable us to grow into the image of Christ and to serve all your people in freedom. And We pray as he taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, friends. Connect with me on social media at FR Frank Pavone, as you see on the screen. And we're going to continue these reflections uh, tomorrow night in talking about the building of public policy on these great principles. Stay with us. Spread the news about this program. Thank you for joining me. Remember what President Trump says. This country doesn't belong to those who are trying to destroy it. It belongs to us. We're part of the greatest movement our country has ever seen. Let's be joyful about that. Let's continue defending life and freedom. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.